brings back memories. I think one of the biggest challenges that we've faced over the last couple of years has been that experience of being confined in our homes, hasn't it? Whether it was during one of the lockdowns, or maybe you got sick and you had to quarantine, or maybe you got pinged and you had to isolate. Um, I think for many of us, it's the closest that we're ever going to come to experiencing what it must be like to be in prison. Not being able to escape, not being able to get on with life, not being in control. Can't see your loved ones when you want to. I remember when being let out for just an hour to walk around the local streets was, well, it just felt like the, it felt like the great escape. We've been reminded, I think, how important our freedom is to us. And Jesus spoke about freedom in the text that we are looking at in our current series. And the background to this text is that um, Jesus is in the synagogue and he is reading ancient prophetic scripture. And at the end of this, he he just declares, this is my mission, his manifesto. He's outlining what his kingdom brings for all of us. So we're going to go back to those two verses that we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks. And um, I think it's good if if you're able and if you're comfortable doing this, would you stand with me as we read these couple of verses? We're in Luke 4 and reading verses 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do be seated. We're looking at this text phrase by phrase, and no surprise, today we are looking at this promise of freedom for the prisoners. But as you declared those words, do you really know what that freedom is? What does Jesus mean by that freedom? We can be pretty sure that he didn't mean freedom from prison, an actual physical prison, because uh, John the Baptist, he was very close to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is languishing in jail. And, you know, we don't read that Jesus went and busted him out. There's also um, a story in the New Testament about Paul, who's one of the leaders of the early church. And Paul used to go around telling people about Jesus, and it got him into trouble. So he frequently ended up in house arrest or in prison. And on one occasion, which you can read about in Acts 16, he's in prison with his colleague Silas. And they're there, and it's the middle of the night, and they're singing and praying, as you do. And um, something amazing happens. It actually cropped up in our song this morning. The walls began to shake. It was like an earthquake. The walls began to shake. The doors flew open. And the chains that they had around their legs just fell off. It was just bizarre. So he's sitting there. He's unfairly jailed, by the way. And the doors open. What do you do? You head for the door, don't you? That's not what Paul did. He actually stayed to comfort his jailer because his jailer's panicking. 
because he's about to lose his prisoners. And, you know, that's going to get him in trouble. And it's not going to be a final warning from the HR department. He works for a really tough regime. He could be executed for losing his prisoners. And Paul and Silas stay with the jailer, and they speak to him, and they speak to the jailer's whole family about true freedom, the freedom that Jesus brings. And the whole family gets baptized. That freedom is so much more important than the mere physical freedom that I started talking about at the beginning. We're going to look at an incident later in Luke's gospel that illustrates this freedom. And we're going to turn to um, chapter 7. And it's an incident that takes place at a dinner party. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background before we read the story, because I think it might help you visualize what's happening if you understand some of the cultural niceties. So three things by way of background. Number one, you know, if you were to invite somebody back for coffee this morning or invite them around for lunch, you would welcome them into your home, maybe take them through to the kitchen, close the door behind them. Not like that in this time and in this place that we're going to read about, okay? So people dined in spaces that were, were really open, um, clearly better climate than we have. Um, and it was accepted that people who weren't invited could wander past, have a look in, see who you've invited round. Ooh, see who Alarine's invited round for lunch today. Ooh. I wonder what they're talking about. It's how people got to hear what was going on. They just listened in. And they even just wandered inside. Sounds a bit weird. Don't try this at home. It's not our culture to do that, is it? Second thing, as you visualize this story, they're not sitting on chairs at a table. They actually reclined to eat. So, you know, imagine the food set out here, and you lie down with your head near the food, and you're supporting your upper body on your elbow, and your feet are stretched out away from the table. I think that sounds so uncomfortable, and I think I would get through a lot of Rennies if that's how I ate my meals. But they, they did that for many, many years, and they, they did fine. So that's what you have to picture. And then the third thing I want to tell you about is feet. Feet, okay? Feet feature in this story, and feet are dirty, when your guests arrive, they have dirty feet. They've not been walking in shoes on paved pavements and tarmac roads. They've been walking in dust and muck. And it is a cultural um, nicety to wash their feet. Make sure that they get their feet washed. You get your servant to do it or you do it. Okay? So that's the background. So that hopefully you get a nice picture of this dinner party that we're reading about in chapter 7. And starting at verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him 
and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So Jesus obviously is the main character in this story, but we've got two other um, big characters, haven't we? And they are both equally keen to see Jesus, but for completely different reasons. So we've got a Pharisee who's a religious leader, and he's trying to trap Jesus, trying to catch him out. Um, you know, is he really a prophet? I mean, it, that's one of those amusing moments in the Bible. Did you, did you pick up on that? That he's saying, well, saying to himself, you know, oh, if he was a prophet, he'd realize. And then Jesus replies to what the guy's thinking about. It's great. And then the other main character is this woman who we're told has led a sinful life. She's probably um, a prostitute who has heard Jesus preach, and she wants to lead a new kind of life. And what strikes me in this story is the enormity of what has happened to this woman. So this is my first point. Jesus brings freedom, and it's really good news. It's really good news. I've read this passage many times in preparing for this morning, and each time I read it, I am more and more moved by her actions. Because they show that what has happened to her is a big deal. She's weeping with gratitude. She comes, she wants to anoint his, his feet with perfume. She's expecting clean feet. But she washes them with her tears. She lets her hair down, a scandalous thing to do in public. But she takes her hair and dries his feet. And then she brings out her alabaster jar. Jesus knows what she's done. And he's forgiven her. In another gospel, John chapter 8, it says that if the Son, the Son of God, if Jesus sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the freedom we're talking about. Freedom from sin Freedom from all the consequences of sin. Freedom to be who we were created to be. 
St. Augustine was a, a theologian who lived a few hundred years after Jesus. And he wrote about freedom. Um, theologians in the room, please forgive me because I'm going to paraphrase quite a lot what um, Augustine said. But he explained that freedom is not about having infinite choice or about a lack of constraints. And this is written a long time ago, but this is how we tend to think of freedom, isn't it? Get to do what you want to do. Nobody reins you in. But Augustine said, rather, freedom is the freedom to be who we were designed to be and to pursue that identity. You see, we're designed in God's image. And the closer we conform to that image, actually, the freer that we become. Jesus didn't come to condemn people for what they'd done wrong. Rather, he came to seek them out and to save them. And he died on the cross to do that. And we sometimes refer to that death as a ransom. And a ransom is what you pay in order to secure the release of a hostage, isn't it? He releases those who are held hostage by sin. And you know, sin is not just what you and I might traditionally think of as evil. It's about the breaking of that right relationship that we have with God. And as we read about this woman, I know it's easy to think, well, her sins are evident. I mean, poor woman has no name. She's the woman who leads a sinful life. It's easy to think she's very much worse than you and me. But the Bible is clear that we'd be wrong. We've all fallen short of what God wants for us. And we're all in need of his forgiveness. That's what sets us free. This is good news. It's good news. God loves us even when we are doing and thinking wrong things. Jesus will never turn you away. We don't need to live like a prisoner. We can experience this freedom. In Jesus' little story here of these two debtors, they both had their debts written off. This woman had had so much forgiven, and her natural reaction is to pour out her love. Pour out her love. I want to give um, us just a moment now for those of you who are followers of Jesus, who have said you want to follow him, you've experienced his forgiveness. Just take a moment now just to, to think about the enormity of what he's done for you. And what's your reaction to that? Maybe you have a sort of metaphorical jar of perfume that you want to lavish on him for what he's done for you. And if you don't yet um, call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you don't yet know him, you can experience this freedom. You can join with me in a, a prayer now. You can just silently say this in your heart as I say this prayer on your behalf. Lord, I want to turn my back on my old life. 
I want to enjoy this freedom that you offer. Sorry for our broken relationship. Thank you for your forgiveness. I commit my life to be in relationship with you. And if you prayed that for the first time this morning, do come and um, speak to somebody that you've seen up on stage and we can tell you more about the next steps you can take. If you're online, there's a button you can press to do the same thing. Right, open your eyes. Dangerous thing to do about half past ten in the morning, isn't it? Close your eyes for a few minutes. So Jesus offers us freedom and we can help others experience it too. This is my second point. We are carriers of this freedom. Kingdom carriers. That's what our series is about. We go with Jesus' authority. We heard about that a couple of weeks ago. We are empowered by his Holy Spirit to bring this freedom to other people. How do we do that? Well, firstly, as you meet people this week, would you just not lose sight of the fact that everyone you see is in the same place as you? We're all loved by God, and we're all equally in need of him. Let's not be like Simon the Pharisee and a bit snooty about who comes into church or who we invite into our home. Let's welcome newcomers. Let's get alongside people who've had different life experiences from, it, from us. When we shouldn't be putting any barriers in the way of people hearing about this freedom that Jesus offers. You know, Jesus was accepting of those people who, like this sinful woman, would have been ostracized by established society. That's what he models for us. Now, they loved him for it, but Jesus got a hostile reaction from those in power because they thought he was rescuing the wrong kind of people. And what we see here is his forgiveness and love that sets new standards for us, and it sets a high bar. It's a high bar. And the Pharisee just didn't get this. And sometimes, neither do I. I have to remind myself... um, What's in Matthew 21? It's recorded there that Jesus said this to the priests and the elders, and they were the people who thought they were all right. He said this to them, Truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom ahead of you. Let's be welcoming. Second thing we can do is we can share our experiences of forgiveness. When you took a moment then just to reflect on the amazing thing that Jesus did for you, why not share that story with somebody else? You know, this prostitute was so open, so demonstrative in her love for him. The outpouring of gratitude for what he'd done, nobody was going to miss that. I imagine a lot of people got to hear about what Jesus had done for her. And they'd see it in her. They'd see it in her life. And then my final point is that we can be models in life um, of giving and accepting forgiveness. And I warn you, this is countercultural. We see this in public life, don't we, at the moment? Sorry seems to be the hardest word. Somebody should write a song about it. 
You see, society wants us to shout for our rights, stand firm in our opinions, not listen to people who differ from us. Even ostracize people who disagree. It's polarizing, isn't it? And this is what we see now in these toxic debates that kick off online. This is what I say. You don't agree, so I'm not listening to you. In fact, I think you should be cancelled. It's toxic. But Jesus' kingdom is topsy-turvy. His kingdom calls for us to be brave and strong, to forgive where there's disagreement, to look for the middle ground. And when we're in the wrong, to go and seek forgiveness from other people and say we got it wrong. We've heard how our relationship with God is restored through forgiveness. We can carry that forgiveness into our broken relationships with other people. It'll transform them. And it'll transform the world. So releasing forgiveness and seeking to be forgiven when we're in the wrong releases this freedom. If we harbor unforgiveness, then somebody said it's a bit like letting the person we're not forgiving live in our heads rent-free. I experienced this comparatively recently. Um, I upset somebody. And um, it wasn't nice. And I could hear what that person had done and said in my head. And I started to think what I would do and I would say. And it was just like my head was full of this person. And it was only when I said sorry and also accepted their apology that I could move on. I don't think that's just me. It's not nice, is it? It's not nice. Nelson Mandela is attributed with this quote, and even if he didn't say it, I think he's a man who is qualified to speak on the subject of forgiveness. He pointed out that if you harbor a grudge, it's actually like wanting to poison another person and then drinking the poison yourself. You don't feel good. Let me finish with um, this quote that Rob um, brought to us a couple of weeks ago. I like this. Steve Nicholson said this, and he's visited us a few times in the past. You may have met him. He was, until quite recently, senior pastor of a Chicago vineyard. And he said this, if we want to see God do something through us, first he needs to do something to us. And this morning, I want to paraphrase that a little, if I may, and say, if we want to be carriers of freedom to those around us, then we need to know and live in the freedom that God offers us. So that's why I'd like to pray for us all. If you're able to, would you like to stand? We've had such a fabulous sense of God's presence here this morning. God started speaking to us through the worship, didn't he, about freedom. 
and how wonderful that is. I just want to pray for each one of us. There will be an opportunity for individual prayer, but all of us, for all of us, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come? Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you for the freedom that you offer us. Thank you for the freedom that we have experienced. Help us to grasp the depths of your love for us. How much you have done. I had a sense uh, in preparing that some of us have been following Jesus for a while and we know, we know that we've, we've accepted forgiveness. But we still beat ourselves up over things that are in our past. And I felt God wanted to remind us through that story of the debtors All your debts were written off, all of them. If you're reminded of things, then that's, that's not God speaking to you. He has written off all those things that you confessed to him and you accepted forgiveness for. Don't be held captive. Don't be held captive by thoughts about things that actually you can move on from. And then the the second main thing that I felt God wanted us to reach out to him about this morning was around our relationships. In Mark 11, Jesus said this, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. And when his disciples asked him about forgiveness, he told them to forgive, what was it, 70 times 7? Let's keep on forgiving. But that's hard to do. So Lord, I pray for your help this morning, just as we maybe think of those relationships that are not quite right. Maybe there are people even in this room that we need to go say sorry to. It's a hard thing to do, but I pray for the Holy Spirit to enable you to do that. And I think sometimes, sometimes I'm tempted to think to, I'll wait for a good time to deal with that. (laughs) But you know, the good time to release and accept forgiveness is right now.
in this moment.